This is your Professor Debbie. Welcome to True Crime University, where we have intellectual discussions about crime. This is a class for mature audiences with mature language and subject matter. Our purpose is to learn about criminals, not glorify them. And my aim, as always, is education. Hello, class. How's everybody today on this? Well, here, it's a rainy, crappy afternoon. And this is going to be a total different, well, not a total different. It's going to be one of those short lessons. I thought I'd give us all a break from the saga that was Israel Keys. You haven't listened to him. Well, this is something different for you. So what I did with this, I kind of developed my own, I guess you would call it theory. And if you're anyway into the, I guess you would call it crime field, psychology, whatever, you maybe you have your own podcast and you want to refer to this, feel free. I'm putting this out there for all of us to use. And it's just something I came up with based on my own experience in dealing with people, meaning criminals, and studying their behavior. And of course, my education and in all the research I've done for this podcast and just reading books about crime and psychology and behavior and such throughout my life. Now, if you're into true crime and you listen to podcasts, which, duh, aren't we all, you've probably heard of the McDonald Triad, and that's the famous trio of bedwetting, fire setting, and cruelty to animals. It was believed for a long time that if a person exhibits all of these behaviors, then they're likely to grow up to be, if not a serial killer, at least violent, or at the very least, screwed up in some way. So we're going to talk about that in more depth for a little bit, the McDonald triad and where exactly it came from. Probably to the surprise of nobody, it's named after researcher and psychologist J.M. McDonald, and he published it in 1963. It was actually a review of other studies that suggested there, that there was a link between these three behaviors and tendency towards violence in adulthood. And he said that many of the subjects of all of these studies had exhibited some form of these in childhood. And just to go over them in a little bit of detail, animal cruelty that's kind of obvious, is torturing animals or just being mean to, and that would be especially pets or stray, um, I don't know, raccoons or some kind of wildlife, whatever it is that a kid would come upon, birds or something. And McDonald theorized that the reason people did this was it stemmed from being humiliated. That's my emphasis on that word, humiliated by others for extended periods of time. So usually, if you figure a kid's doing it, it probably would be from being humiliated by parents or peers. You know, maybe stereotypical kid who's bullied or picked on by other kids. So then they would act out their frustrations on weaker or defenseless people. And who's more weak and defenseless than an animal? And this would then give them a sense of control, which totally makes sense. The next one of the trio is fire setting. And McDonald theorized that this was a way to vent 
the child's aggression, helplessness, and humiliation. Again, notice the word humiliation. There are quite a few serial killers, murderers, adult criminals who have shown an interest in arson, either as adults or kids. And the one we just talked about for six episodes, Israel Keys, he was still setting fires. And the third one is bedwetting, medically known as enuresis, or peeing the bed. Supposedly, if this behavior continued after age five, there was something wrong with this person. And McDonald theorized that the kid who peed the bed felt humiliated. There's that word again. And he linked it to stress and anxiety. Nowadays, I think for the most part, a lot of people who study behavior, psychology, criminology, have come to discount the McDonald triad because bedwetting, I think, has been found to not really have much of anything to do with violent behavior, meaning kids who pee the bed when they're little usually do so out of something, some other reason, maybe a medical reason, stress or anxiety. A lot of kids who pee the bed are victims of sexual abuse. The only one of these three that really I think is significant is cruelty to animals because we've seen in the classroom here a number of killers that we've talked about torturing animals or at the very least being mean to animals, pets, and so on. So to top it all off, McDonald himself didn't believe that this research that he did found any definitive link between these three behaviors and adult violence. And how ironic can you get that the very person who came up with this, and this is named after, himself didn't really buy into this theory that these three behaviors are a predictor of adult violence. So what I decided to do was come up with my own list of things that kids experience or do as children that are more likely to predict violent behavior when they become adults. And like I said, I based these 10 off of research that I've done and things that I've personally seen when I used to interview criminals. And I'll go over the 10 with you. And like I said, feel free to use them if in your own podcasts or I don't know if you're a student or whatever. If you would say you are a student and you would cite these in a, a paper or something, I'm sure your instructor would be like, who? Who is this? So I wouldn't really recommend doing that because I'm, granted, I have a PhD, but I am really just a podcaster. And these are just my ideas. I guess take them with a grain of salt. But from now on, every time we talk about a killer and we, you know how we go through the, okay, what kind of killer was this? Let's go through the FBI seven different kinds of motivations and we pick one. Well, I'm going to bring out this list of 10 and I'm going to say, okay, how many of these behaviors did this person experience in their life? And my own personal bet is that it's going to be more predictive I guess is the word, than the McDonald triad. The first one I just mentioned is cruelty to animals or other people. And this shows a lack of empathy, which as we've learned, hopefully we've learned, 
is a sign of antisocial personality disorder. If you can't empathize with people or animals, any living thing, that's not good. There's a good chance that you're going to end up being no good. Number two is being bullied or being a bully. And I can think right off the top of my head of a number of people we've discussed who were either bullied as kids and they internalize it and they want to take it out on other people or who were bullies as kids and they picked on other kids. Another big one that we see very often is head injury. I know we haven't talked about some of these people, but Richard Ramirez, I think, had like serious head injuries a couple times in his childhood where he was unconscious for quite a while. Andrew Kehoe, the school bomber in Michigan, he was knocked unconscious. I think he was in a coma for a while. I know we haven't talked about Gacy, but he had some kind of head injury as a kid, and I think he had seizures after that. But I think that there's too many adult violent criminals who have had head injuries in the past that it's like there has to be something there. There has to be some connection. There's just too many. And even in my own work, when I would do pre-sentence investigations on people and part of the questionnaire, part of the report, I would ask them about their medical history. You know, did you ever have this or this or any surgeries or blah, blah, blah? And so many of them mentioned head injuries that I started asking them, did you ever have any type of concussion or head injury? And again, so many said yes, that it made me think there might really be something to this. And there's been whole studies on this topic, probably even books written about the connection between head injuries and violent behavior. Another one, okay, what are we on? One, two, three. Four, substance abuse. And this would be substance abuse by this person at a young age. I'm not talking about like a 17-year-old kid wants to try getting drunk or smoking weed. I think that's pretty normal behavior. I mean like, okay, remember Pazuzu, Algorod, that wacko? He was regularly drinking beer at like age 12. That is not normal. Children who use drugs or alcohol. That's not normal. That's not healthy. Obviously, they're, they're doing it for some reason. And it's not that in itself, but other things that are probably going on with them that I think is going to cause them to be involved in crime as adults. Number five, and this one's pretty obvious, physical, sexual, or emotional abuse. If a kid suffers from any of those types of abuse, I think it's kind of a given that they're not going to turn into healthy, functioning adults. And there's definitely many people who are abused who don't turn out to abuse other people. We all know that. And I think maybe a lot of us ourselves can relate to this. Well, you know, I was abused as a kid or I was molested or this happened to me, but I obviously didn't turn out to, I don't know, maybe you did. Don't tell me if you are a serial killer. I don't want to know about it. But it is a factor in future behavior. Another one is stealing, lying, or just general dishonesty, being sneaky and deceptive. A lot of people that we've talked about engaged in dishonest behaviors as a kid. And this is also 
an early sign of antisocial personality disorder, or what we call conduct disorder or oppositional defiant disorder. The next one is thrill-seeking. And if you listen to the last part of the Israel Key saga, remember I mentioned that he was into thrills, doing things for the thrill of it. In his own words, he was looking for an adrenaline rush that he got from committing crimes. And I also said that scientists have found that in psychopaths, there's a part of their brain that craves adrenaline. So many people that are into violent behavior are also into thrill-seeking. Some of the things are, I guess you would call healthy, like skydiving or zip lining, things like that. Some of the things are not healthy, like rape, murder, etc. Another one is destructive behavior, and this will be more of like an adolescent thing. This, I would put the fire setting in this category. Stuff like vandalism. I can recall off the top of my head a couple cases that we did where the killers were involved in graffiti and vandalism. And I'm thinking particularly of Anders Bering Breivik. Remember, he was actually on a graffiti gang. I think they call them gangs. And the three morons who killed Stephen Newberry, we did that one a couple months ago. They were very much into going around vandalizing houses and drawing spray paint designs. And this all ties in with an urge to destruct, destroy property, things, vandalize things, like go to places, buildings, and break things and ruin things or spray paint them in other ways. It's kind of a, like an urge, like a destructive, I guess I'm trying to be family-friendly, an FU to society. Number nine is developmental disorders. And I got to be careful with this one. I don't mean certainly that everybody who has some kind of developmental disorder is going to be violent. Since I'm autistic, that is considered a developmental disorder. So, you know, I definitely don't mean that. But a lot of kids who have like, uh, if do you remember last year, we talked about the Richardson family murders, Jeremy Steinke, he was the 23-year-old who had like the mentality of maybe a 15-year-old. He was born with what they call fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And his brain wasn't fully developed because his mother had used alcohol and who knows what else when she was pregnant with him. So kids who were born with different kind of developmental disorders are definitely at a disadvantage in a lot of ways. But I think we find that a lot of criminals that we've talked about, or at least that I've met or read about at least, have had some kind of developmental disorder or something not quite right with their brain when they're born. And the last one, this might come as a surprise to some of you, but I can vouch for it, is an early interest in sex. If we have a killer, rapist, whatever, who at the age of, I don't know, trying to think of a ridiculous age, like 10, was sexually assaulting other kids, that's not cute. That's not normal things that kids do as learning or exploring. I mean, I think all little kids play doctor, and that is normal. But 
if the kid, the boy is 12 and he says to his five-year-old, I don't know, cousin or whatever, hey, show me your pee-pee and I'll show you mine. No, that's not normal. And I think a lot of them learn this because a lot of them were sexually abused themselves. And the reason I said I know this from experience is I only ever worked at this place for a day. But right before I got my job at the probation office, I worked at a, what was it? It was like a detention center specifically for adolescent male sex offenders. And I had the overnight shift and I was bored. I didn't have anything to do. So I was reading through their files and kind of like trying to find out what they did in there, what the treatment involved. And one thing they did in there was sex education. And as it turned out, a lot of these kids had never had proper sex education. They they were either taught it's dirty or, no, you don't need to know about that. Stuff like that when they should have been taught things or the opposite. Like they weren't given boundaries or told that, hey, you can't do that. That's not okay. You, know, you can't play doctor with your little sister when you're 13 years old. That's a no-no. So a lot of these young adult sex offenders were brought up without proper education about sex and sexual behavior. So I thought that was really interesting. And then I started to notice that a lot of people that we've talked about or that I've read about show an early interest in sexual materials. Like you'll see a lot of young teenagers, and by young I mean like 13, 14, watching porn on their computer or looking at I don't mean sneaking a peek at their dad's Playboy, but seeking out like hardcore violent porn and things like that. So those are my 10, and I'm going to go over them again. Cruelty to animals or other people, bullying or being bullied, head injury, substance abuse, physical, sexual, or emotional abuse, stealing, lying, or dishonesty, thrill-seeking, destructive behavior, developmental disorders, and early interest in sex. So tell me what you think about this list. Do you disagree with any of these or are there any that you would add? I'm curious to know. Yeah, so so let me know what you think. And next week, we're going to talk about a child murder. So trigger warning up front and something, I don't know if I want to say special about this case, interesting about this case is I found that there aren't any other podcasts who have covered it. I don't know why. I don't know why it's not more widely known because it's pretty brutal and it was a, it was a little girl. So we are going to be talking about that next week. Okay, class dismissed.